So, hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and we sit down to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched a live screening of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Um, it's directed by Gareth Edwards and released in 2016. Um, the plot of the movie goes something like this. Uh, a The Rebellion... What was it? <laughs> I can't remember it. <laughs> The Rebellion does it. The Rebellion undertakes a dangerous mission to steal the plans to the Death Star. And now, uh, for everyone who isn't here in the cinema with us, just uh, and who's listening, um, just a, a warning that we're going to start talking spoilers from now on. So go see the movie first, then listen to the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Um, to our review. I have a lot of feelings about this movie. Um, this has been a really, really popular Star Wars movie. It's The reviews have generally been really positive. Um, so I had pretty good expectations when I went to see it. I like it a lot, but I think it's a, a Star Wars story where the story really takes precedent over like a lot of the other things that we like, like characters and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's very... Um, it's it's really, really, uh, like, as a story, Grim. it's one of the most interesting stories, I think, that we've seen in the Star Wars universe, especially for a movie, and they've really kind of branched out um, in terms of the storytelling um, while kind of keeping it feeling really Star Wars-y. Um, but, uh, yeah, it goes, and it goes dark, like, really it's a lot really darker. It's really grim. Um, I have to admit I liked it a lot more watching it just now than I did when I watched it last night. I came out feeling not not happy with this at all uh, it wasn't what I expected and I I do the thing where I'm a purist and I'm all like oh I don't want to see too many tra- I saw, saw one trailer and I didn't read reviews and I tried not to find out too much stuff about it so I, I just wasn't expecting this and I think probably your average Star Wars fan going into this is probably just like what why can I can I take my kids to this and it's very grim it's very war focused and I'm mm, I, I, I have notes um yeah <laughs> um yeah it is grim and war focused I was actually kind of expecting that um, I didn't really expect any of them to survive I was kind of hoping for a couple of them but no um <laughs> yeah oh I think I forgot until I got into it last night and then I remembered many good Bothans died to bring us this information that was not this Death Star that was the other Death Star that was the second Death Star in the third movie right I was wondering what happened to the Bothans that was my big there's, question there's no Bothans because that's the third movie right they well a lot of good to bring us these plans. a lot of good people died to bring us these plans and I started to think that when I started watching it last night after and maybe you shouldn't watch movies when it's like six o'clock in the evening on your last day of work for the year and you're tired and all that but I was like oh 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 yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's hard going. It's sad. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest problem that I have with this movie, though, is actually um, – so I'm a big Force Awakens fan. I love The Force Awakens. You can't tell at all, but I am. Um, and I think there's something – J.J. Abrams is like the master of pacing. Even if you don't particularly like him, he is really, really good at getting a story going and keeping it going until you get to the end of the movie. This movie is one-third exposition, one-third character development, one-third big fight, everybody dies, and that's it. Yeah. That's the whole movie. And it's, um, it it's doesn't stand on its own. It's completely dependent on all the other story that goes around it. If you watch this on its own, this is an incredibly grim war movie about a heist. And and a lot of things would be really confusing. The whole yeah. first act is so confusing. Like, you're jumping from this place to this place to this place, this character, this character, this character. If you don't already know what's going on, then it's going to be pretty confusing for you. Um, I knew what was going on and it was pretty confusing for me. But then I, I think it really kind of hits its stride once they get to um, – Saw Guerrera's hideout. Uh, yeah, I, and then from that point on, it kind of moves along and it starts getting really interesting and there's really cool stuff in it. I think the Jeddah set piece is really good. Yeah. Um, the, that feels very realistic and very, like, war-focused. Um, and the, the bit where they um, – uh, 
whatever it's called, Edu, where where Galen Erso is. That um, that whole set piece is also quite good. The first time I watched the movie, even though watching it this time, it was very, very clear that Cassian was going up there to kill Galen. The first time I watched it, because he's going out there with Bodhi by themselves, I was like, no, you can't kill Bodhi. You can't yeah. do that to him. He just got tortured and he's so sweet and you can't do that. I was so upset. And then yeah. I was like, oh, duh, of course he's going out to kill Galen. But I didn't care. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, like, you, you know that Mads is going to die. That's what he's there for. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, th- that's, the, that's the other problem. It doesn't stand on its own, but if you're a Star Wars fan, you know that almost none of these characters, apart from the few famous exceptions, turn up in the um, don't turn up in the next movie. So well, let's talk about one of those famous exceptions: um, the Uncanny Valley, Peter Cushing. Oh God, yeah. it's so bad! It's so bad. Like every time you're watching that, you're just hyper aware that that's not a person that they're talking to. Yeah, um, I, d- I don't know why they didn't just hire an actor. And then um, at the end, Uncanny Valley, Leia. Yeah, she's um, bad too. But like. Uh, Mon Mothma got recast, so why can't we and recast so Peter good. Cushing? God, she's so good. Genevieve O'Reilly, Riley? O'Reilly, yeah. She's so good as Mon Mothma. So appara- I love her. apparently, I was reading today, she had a cutscene in the prequels. She did, yeah. Um, as as Mon Mothma. She had so. a cutscene with Jimmy Smith as Bail Organa as well. Right. And so, course, um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, um, she was cast previously and she looks just like her and she just does such a good job. I was really interested in that stuff, actually. Um, I really liked Mon Mothma. I was really, really disappointed, especially after The Force Awakens, to see this and see, I think I counted seven women on screen. In I, the movie. I was doing the same thing. Seven women yeah. with a speaking role. Yeah. That, well, that was it. Even like in the backgrounds, you're looking for them. Like there's this bit where um, when Cassian comes up with his group of rebels and he's like, we're all spies, we've all done terrible things. And I'm like, yeah, and you're all dudes. Just all dudes. No yeah. women at all. She's the only girl on that plane. Um, it was a little bit, uh, yeah. It's really disappointing. It was like especially- they were, tr- well, they were well, something that we call Moffateering, which is named after Stephen Moffat of Doctor Who fame, where like you um, do one diverse or like woke thing and pretend that it makes up for all the rest of it yeah but they, i mean they tried so hard with the casting like the our whole team our whole hero team is basically non-white guys and gin yeah that's the yeah. whole team you know you've got um um donnie yen killing it as Chirrut in way god i loved him in this movie he, um you uh, put donnie yen, yen in a movie you expect stuff. him to go full it man he, and he did with that scene in Jeddah, yeah. you know, and he's... Oh, so he, he was good in, the, in that he was, like, the only other bit of comic relief other than... Um, K2SO. K2SO, Alan Tudyk bot, as I keep calling it. Um, <laughs> but he's not, like, the greatest actor in terms of line delivery, Donnie. No, Yenna. but I mean, well, I think that's partly the English thing. Right, um, yes, he's, that's true. Like he's not operating in his first language, that's, right. to be fair. And uh, But I thought he was really good in this. I liked the Space Husbands thing. That was really cute. They were adorable, um, yes. They were adorable. Um, and, uh, um, I, I mean, I like this cast. I liked this a lot of these guys before seeing it. Diego Luna um, was in Itumama Tambien. I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it's I, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And I saw it when I was like... I don't know, 18 or something, maybe yeah. younger. Um, and I've been watching those guys, Diego Luna and Gal Gassibanel, since that movie. And I was so excited when he got cast in Star Wars. I was just like, oh, my God, it's adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and Riz Ahmed is so good in this movie. Yeah, he I was know my I already favorite. said this, but yeah. Riz Ahmed, yeah. He was like my instant favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly shows up, is adorable and gets tortured. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Um, so when he when he dies, that was there really are le- to me. lots of adorable babies for people on tumblr to fall for i think in this movie yeah. like lots of adorable couples and stuff yeah um but the thing about it is that like 
it is so like it's so bleak because you're watching it this mm-hmm. time and I'm watching it this time and I'm like, but they're just they're all gonna die. They're all gonna die and it's so upsetting and you don't have that. Like you watch when after you watch The Force Awakens, there's so much to go on after that, you know, and you get so attached to these people yeah. and we're gonna see them again next year and I can't wait um to see all of them again. But it's it I mean, I got really attached to them anyway. Um, um I really loved all those yeah. characters and this one you get like this little bit of time to kind of connect with them. You don't get a lot of time to connect with them. They spend way too much on Saw Gerrera. God, he's uh, Forrest Whitaker in this is way too um, Vincent D'Onofrio in uh, Magnificent Seven for me. Yeah, hammy. Um, yeah. yeah, but that voice too. Like I know what they're doing with that. Obviously, with the the they've got the oxygen and it's like Grievous and Vader and all that sort of thing. But man, it's he he feels like he's sitting in this movie, but he's pulled out of the prequels. And been put in this movie. <laughs> like he's overacting and he's hammy and he's doing the voice and he's got all the bits. And this movie's so like gritty and, uh, and like. Yeah, actually, you just brought up something. It's got a bit of prequelitis in the script. Like this, this one has not, it's not as bad as the prequels, but there's a whole bunch of clunky lines and you can see the actors kind of struggling as they try to deliver these I liked dodgy some lines. of them. I liked some of the dodgy lines I think the thing I said this last time but the thing with Star Wars is that it's always the the script is cheesy um, and it's always cheesy it's George yes. Lucas is cheesy um, and if you write a Star Wars that hasn't got at least a little bit of cheese in it it's not Star Wars um, there were definitely some that that line that Anakin says don't choke on your um, ambition oh yes don't choke. <laughs> no no don't don't choke on your aspirations, aspirations. because he's choking yeah. at the time yeah, yeah. I, so, I, that's I a cute died. medical was, pun I thought that was good that was ridiculous. <laughs> and I feel like Gareth Edwards maybe has more of an affinity for, like, the dark side of the Force than the light side because we didn't get a lot of, like, pretty hero shots and um, there, there were a few pretty shots but definitely not. It wasn't well, as pretty yeah. as I would have hoped but, it would be. Um, but then Vader shows up and the whole thing's gorgeous suddenly. Mm. Like, it's all the the contrast in the black and white. And well, there's all the hero shots of the Death Star too and yeah. hero shots of it, uh, the Destroyers as well. The Destroyers being total drama queens and lighting up um, <laughs> bit by bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought of something and I've totally forgotten what it, was, what it was about because I got distracted by pretty stuff. Oh, right. Yes. Um, there's been this headline going around the internet the last couple of days about how this is the first Star Wars movie that's really about war and then people making fun of that. But it actually, that's actually right. This is very much about war and the way he shoots it is like a modern war movie you know lots of handheld right yeah. in there i wouldn't like, say it's gritty. the first movie about war but i would say it's the first war movie and stuff yeah it's in the, the first Star war Wars movie. series which is again part of the my sort of dissonance but it's not political right didn't bob i guess say it's not political <laughs> is it coming out saying star wars this movie is not about politics and you're like the whole thing is politics. Yeah, um, that, um, that is that is true. And there's also lots of allegories to what's going on in Aleppo and all that kind of thing, like right now. Yeah, well, this, um, the, the Bob Iger Obviously, quote, they wouldn't have known that, but yeah. The Bob Iger quotes in response, of course, to the um, dump Rogue One hash or dump Star Wars hashtag because apparently yeah. it's anti-Trump, um, which is imp- really impressive considering that it was the, the principal shooting was finished by February. Um, yeah. Um, but, but, yeah. Know, but, it, um, but it is always political and the... The Empire sort of stands in for whatever large bureaucracy is in place at the time. Well, not just large bureaucracy. It stands in it's, – it's fascism. Yes. It's fascism. It's, it's, it's uh, always been an allegory for fascism and rebels mm. against fascism and right. he's just the latest Although face of it. I did, and, and I did quite appreciate the mundanity of this. Like, I, don't, I think that's a word. Um, the, like, it's all very ordinary. Um, you see the engineers who work with um, Galen Erso who are just kind of like – 
old, the old guys. white dudes. Yeah, but that, they're like just old guys who have a job in the like. If you're in the empire, it's actually pretty secure. You know, you've got a good government job, and you've got probably got healthcare in the empire, and you know, it's fairly se- secure healthcare. employment. Yeah, but they'll shoot you. Yeah, <laughs> you've got great healthcare until they're like you. We blame you. Shoot you. I don't know. I picked up on the, the like the mundane bureaucratic side of the empire, and also the sort of mundane bit of, of war, and that you know she gets caught up in it, and she doesn't mean to. Um, I liked the um, the way that they did the planets as well. It's a little bit different. And I kind of liked how Jeddah had a lot of, like, uh, a lot of the population were Asian. Um, obviously, Yavin 4 is where they've decided all the um, Latino people come from because that's Poe Dameron's home planet. Um, <laughs> um, but, oh, yeah. okay. That's why you made a little <gasps> noise next. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Not that okay. I have favourites. I don't. But um, uh, I, was, I, I spent, like, ten minutes after that just imagining, like, Poe growing up on that planet with all of the old, like, rebel bases. I know, I'm a nerd. Um, right. Yeah. Well, that, that makes a whole lot more sense now. And it seems like um, Cassian might have been from there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they, they did kind of uh, – the planets were interesting and different from a lot of the stuff we've seen before, apart from, obviously, when they showed up on that volcano planet that I can't remember the name of. If anybody knows it, yell it out. Um Sorry? Mount, Mount Doom. Doom. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, where, uh, obviously, Anakin's got his base there since he um, yeah. was, you know, taken to pieces there. But Yeah, um, he has quite a cool, like, castle thingy. Um, I'm just thinking, should we give ratings and then yep. throw to audience? Sounds right. good. Okay. Um, what are you giving it? Oh, gosh. I'm going to give it three and a half stars. I'm going to give it three stars. Sounds okay, good. cool. So we're going to throw to audience questions. Jamie's going to come around with – Jamie has a microphone. Uh, wait till you get the microphone until you start talking just because we're recording. And also when you get it, if you could just say your name as well because I can't see everybody. Does anybody have any so, questions? Anybody have any questions? Hi, this is Lauren. Um, I guess I was just wondering about your thinking about uh, Donnie Yen, his character. I can't remember what you – Cheer it in where? Yeah, that one. Uh, um, name, yes. I was wondering if you felt he was a, kind of a bit um, like magical Asian dude, you know, the blind guy that can just beat up everyone. And... Blind ninja guy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I think that, well, the, the thing about that is that if he had been the only um, Asian character in the movie, that would have been awful. But they really kind of balance that out with Baze, who's really significantly different to Chirrut Inwe. Um, Baze Malbus, of course, is the hairy guy, the husband. Um, he, uh, he's really kind of not that guy at all. Um, he's all about shooting people. He has the big machine gun blaster thing. He, um, and he's not a believer and he's, you know, kind of a fallen believer. And that's, um, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have not just one minority of every group in a movie so that you can have like, there's one person who's like this, but there's also somebody else who doesn't represent that stereotype. So, um, and they balanced each other really well and they had kind of a good chemistry together. Um, there's that moment when, uh, when Chirrut's walking away from the, um, the crashed, um, ship that they land on Edu, and um, and he, he says, uh, "What is it?" He's Baze is like, "Oh, you're going to take them on by yourself. Good luck." And he goes, "I don't need luck. I've got you." And then Baze just runs off after him, and <laughs> it's super cute. Not until after he's rolled his eyes, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, that's my thought. Thoughts. That's fair. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. I was just it got me thinking about Jeddah. I really liked Jeddah as like the home city of the Jedi. It was really nice. This ancient subtle. city that was Jedi, Jedi. Yeah, yeah. It was super subtle. But I, I liked it. I liked that they have a holy city and that it was destroyed and there's like their symbolism there anyway. Um, I feel like that might have been 
hinted at before in external stories and things like that. Um, but I don't yeah. think it was part of the official canon mm-hmm. before. I may not be right about that. I don't uh, – I've basically only seen the movies, but there's some bits and pieces that I know from outside. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? <laughs> oh, it's General Hux. It is indeed. Mm. Hi, guys. Um, <laughs> my name is actually Pip. Um, so for the viewers uh, not with us at the moment, what you don't know is that Katie and I play in a D&D group. <laughs> and my question is, do you think that the casting of the sort of team of good guys was very, very, okay, we have a specialist tank, we have a specialist monk, <laughs> we have a bard over here who just, you know, yells at people and talks. Like, did they over-specialize that? Because I was sitting there going, okay, well, she's the rogue, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's subtle. Um, yeah, it, that you'd never guess that she was the rogue by that time that, that Bodhi looks at her and goes rogue. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of things like that in this movie too. There's another moment where oh, where K two S O introduces himself and he's like, "I'm a reprogrammed Imperial droid," and you're like, "Thanks, K two S O." Yeah, I mean, kind of, but you know, there's a couple of people who who work outside of their field a little bit. I think the most kind of Deus Exy character actually in that group is uh, Bodhi. Um, because they clearly need Bodhi to be able to do all the things that they do. Um, uh, in order to um, infiltrate the Imperial base and things like that. But, you know, I also really like the Defector storyline. Um, it's one of the reasons why I, like, I love Finn so much, which has caused me a problem because now I'm watching the Stormtroopers and going, but Finn could be in one of them. Yeah, I was, I was watching that too. But you know what I also thought of? I don't play D&D, so I'm going to go totally off topic here. Um, but you know how, um, you know, never tell me the odds, kid? So, uh, not, what's his name? pilot um Bodhi no the Cassian thank you Cassian um yeah Cassian's always like a K2SO is always telling Cassian the odds Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if Han Solo who in the extended universe has a background as a stormtrooper came up with imperial droids constantly telling him the odds of things okay firstly extended universe is not uh is dumped but I didn't know about that, about the extended universe having Han Solo. Yeah, Han Solo background. had started out as a Stormtrooper. That's part of his background story. I'm really glad I didn't read the extended universe. I, I didn't read. Actually, somebody told me that after this, the screening this time last year. I, I don't think they're here this year, but somebody came up to me and told me that, which was interesting because then when I watched the droid thing, that made me Well, that reminded me of C-3PO more than anything else. Um, well, that too. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, but to get back to the actual question, I, I don't think they were overly specialised. I mean, you know, there's a couple of fighters and a couple of, of different people who do different things, but I think that's definitely a thought process that went into it. And this is part of the thing where I'm talking about, like, the story came before the characters. They were like, we need somebody who can do this. Who are we going to do? Who are we going to get to do that? And we need somebody who is able to um, get the plans out. We need somebody who's able to do this other thing. Um, and then sort of in the middle of the script, they seem to go, oh, we should make them like these guys. Um, rather than just have them spout exposition at us. Um, but, the, I mean, the best kind of character moment, I think, in the first part is just watching Cassian kill that one guy. That's the only real kind of character development. Um, you know, you see Jin watching her parents die, but we've seen that, or her mother die, watching her mother get fridged in front of her. But we've seen that how many times? Like, every movie. Yeah. Um, so that, that was... That, uh, Cassian shooting that guy's really unexpected. We know he's supposed to be a hero in this movie. We know this is Star Wars. Watching him just kill somebody, like shoot him in the back, is so, like, I, I didn't realize until just this moment that he actually was shot in the back. I thought the stormtroopers got him, and it was just 
Cassian being cold. No, he killed him. Oh, yeah. boy. Um, there's a couple of really nice acting moments, actually, in the beginning there. And Diego Luna is, like, one of probably the standout among the actors, actually. He's I really thought good. Felicity Jones was really good, especially there's this moment um, when uh, Cassian tells her that Galen was the one who sent the plans out and she reacts really kind of mm. in an interesting way. Um, and I thought his, Riz Ahmed was great. Yeah, he was he was really good too. Um, and her, her stuff, uh, especially when seeing the hologram of her dad. Yeah. But Mads Mikkelsen, good actor or just interesting looking? I can't tell because <laughs> I've seen him in a couple of things now and I've never thought he was a particularly good actor, but he's definitely got an interesting face. Mm, he's um, got a big fan base too. Yeah, people, I know people love people him. love Mads. <laughs> I'm sure there's some of you that really love him, but I just I mm-hmm. haven't gotten into the Mads madness. Does anybody else have any questions? Hey, guys, I'm Mitch. Um, I just wanted to ask you guys, um, like, apart from the CGI faces and, and things like that, were there any other parts of the film that really pulled you out and sort of made you realise that you were watching a movie? I really noticed that um, there was this point where the hammerhead sort of pushed the destroyer into mm. another destroyer and then it had this magical sparkly sound effect. Did anyone else <laughs> notice that? It was like, Psh! and I was like, what is that? I did like that moment. Um, I um, the biggest one for me, apart from it was all the stuff where they tried to pull in the um, the original movies, um, the gold leader guy, um, oh, and that was the, when they put in the like janky seventies um, film stock, like film um, quality, in with like this two thousand sixteen yeah. stuff, and you're like, that's really obvious, like that's really really obvious, um, and they they just say lines from their um, appearance in the other movie, you know. Mm going in and then he'll they'll cut away from him and they'll he'll finish the yeah. sentence um and that was really distracting as well because it's not like we needed those guys um no. what we really needed was to introduce some new people for us to like outside of the uh, our group so that like apart from non-akbar fishman um Rattus, mm. i remember it was called Rattus because yeah. i was like Rattus. oh my god it's um what are they called the ferals um <laughs> the ferals yes that's their technical name, I'm sure. No, 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 no. Um, Radisson. It was a TV show. Radisson, oh, Medigliana, right. and those guys. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So um, we really needed like some people that we cared about to be outside, so that we knew somebody who was going to live who wasn't in the original movies, who was a new character for this one that we could fall in love with. Because I mean, we know what happens to Leia, but we've also seen Leia now, so seeing her then is really distracting. Um, yeah, it's it's really strange, and that that kind of um, pulled me out of things a little bit. Yeah, the 70s pilots, for sure, that is really kind of weird. And the way they talk is so different. Yeah, well, that's actually what I was going to say because it it happens with um, fake Peter Cushing too. Voices have changed in 40 years. Like the way – and so his voice is very old-fashioned to our ears, but – also, the way the other actors, the, the pilot actors talk was very strange. It's Not changed just a lot. voices have changed, but the way that people perform in movies has yeah, changed. Yeah, acting styles. Yeah, yeah, acting styles. So, like, the kind of the bigger voices and the clearer voices, we, then we prize kind of more realistic moments instead of those, like, clear speaking voices and things like that. Um, mm, yeah. yeah, but the Peter Cushing, the voice was the least of my problems. No, I, I get it. Um, the <laughs> bit that – probably the bit for me also – I think it's just the whole – way along just knowing everybody's got to die i actually that kind of got to me i think i actually thought also um i also thought ben Mendelssohn was really good in this movie yeah i um, oh i that's something else i like that everybody was allowed to keep their own accent and yeah, so true. there's his no there's no fake accent to worry about but yeah he was quite good actually he's one of the more interesting villains i think because he's so human 
like he's frustrated that people aren't recognizing that he put a lot of work into this project and like <laughs> that's what yeah. I mean when I said bureaucratic right yeah. he like he, and watching it like an hour after I'd finished like my last day of work for the year I could sort of recognize you know into office politics power plays and stuff you know so he's he did this he supervised this massive project and there's one tiny little problem and his boss is like I'm going to oversee this personally and <laughs> but then, but then you, you put so much effort into yeah, that cape, and then, that outfit. Right, you know, that he dresses cape. up for work. He's got different capes. Did you notice? There's a cape for wet weather, and there was a long cape for like formal occasions, like when he meets Vader. <laughs> no capes. No capes are the best. Um, but there's a bit though um, with, oh, but with Vader, like he, again, you see him do this sort of office politics thing where he overplays his hand. Vader's like, oh yes, you've got a lot to do, and he gives him a bit of shit, and then, then he says. So, wait, so I'm still in charge? And that's, I'm like, oh, you shouldn't have said that, mate. And that just opens the door for Vader to torture him. He also looks genuinely disappointed when he finds out that Galen's the mole, as if Galen could possibly not have been the mole. Is he, is he, who else is he going to be? <laughs> but he's his friend. I know. It's, like, it's so funny because you see him them at different stages of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, by oh, the casting too of that little girl. Did they like clone Felicity Jones? Because that little girl looks just like her. Maybe she um, has a niece or a cousin or something. That was that was good. But she could act as well. Mm. Usually, when they cast a niece or a cousin or somebody, they can't. Act. That that might be true. Um, but yeah. no, she was really. I I was really impressed with that. I mm. always like it when they actually cast children who look like the adults that they're going to grow up to be. Mm. Especially if you're going to have like that reunion between the parent and the child. You look at her in that scene and you're like, yeah, this could be the kid that mm. he left. 15 years ago instead of some completely unrelated person. Hmm. Are there any more questions? Um, hi, I'm Adrian. I had a question about the, the sort of very end when basically they're staring off into the apocalyptic sunset. Um, they hold hands, they don't kiss, which is kind of, you know, the classic, you know, this is what happens in the movie when there's, you know, the romantic leads. Um, what do you think about that? Oh, I have thoughts about this. <laughs> I was having thoughts about this beforehand. I think it's actually nicer the way they do it in this than to have them go all out and kiss if they you can see that's there they have amazing chemistry those two really good chemistry and you can see what they feel for each other and you see it through the acting you see it through glances and holding hands and saving her at the last minute um i think it's better that way that they face their face their deaths together um hugging and all that much better than kissing um two thoughts firstly the only thing i could think of was deep impact um, when, uh, um, what's her name is hugging her dad on the beach and the wave comes. Um, but the other thing was, um, that, uh, Cassian was so clearly not dead cause he fell on a platform when there was a big <laughs> drop and it's Star Wars. If there's a big drop, somebody's going down it. Um, <laughs> like I was like, oh, he's going to come back and save her at the last minute. Um, mm. And then, uh, yeah, also it, the camera moves away way too quickly. He's definitely still alive. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the romance, they really seem to be mo- moving away from the romantic kind of stuff um, with uh, Star Wars. Like there's no not any kissing apart. I mean, I don't think there's any kissing actually in Force Awakens. Um, I was going to say apart from Han and Leia, but they just hug too. Um, and it's really kind of interesting to see them make this choice to not press the romance issue, um, even if there are some people that I would really like to see that with. Um, it's, uh, it's, and, and it's nice. It's nice that they don't feel like they have to do that. It's nice that they don't feel like they have to have them making out on the beach just to prove their connection or prove their love for each other or whatever. Um, 
but yeah, it uh, it is. Uh, it does seem to be a conscious move on their part. Maybe it's the Disney thing. Not that Disney is particularly averse to romance, but maybe they've decided, you know, in Star Wars, no romance. Mm. There does seem to be all I can see is feet. Bit of a trend there. Um, th- yeah. Uh, any any more questions? Okay. Quietness. Excellent. I think we're actually kind of getting close to time. It is well after midnight, so perhaps we can wrap up. Is there anything else you want to say before we do? Yeah, <laughs> but I don't Please. know where to start. Expound I mean, some feelings. There's, uh, there's, no, it just there's so much stuff in there. Like there's there's every little element of this. You know, I'm looking at the costuming and I'm like, this is not these parts of the costumes really don't feel Star Warsy. Um, and then you get to kind of Mon Mothma and that sort of thing, and that's much more what we're used to. But it strikes a real um, difference, I think, once you get to the end with those guys with the white helmets um, mm. on Leia's ship, and you're like, well, this is what this looks like. Why does this not look like that? Um, why does it not look like that when, you know, Jin's outfit through the whole thing is – and her hair – is like not Star Wars girl. <laughs> no, there's not. At all. No, there's they, no funny buns. There's no fancy anything. But there's, one it's also bun. not distinctive. It's a little yeah. bun and like lots of pieces hanging out around her face. It's it's um. But, it's the same as her dad's old haircut. Ah, okay. Um, I didn't notice that. Um, but yeah, it the the fact that it's the same as her dad's old haircut. It's probably. Uh, Connection, but I, I do yeah. also think it's not like there's not a lot of distinctive looks going on here. There's not a lot of that kind of I know exactly who that is by looking at them. If you um, went, you know, if you cosplayed as as Jin, it's certainly not going to be as obvious as if you go cosplaying as Ray, um, for instance, or as Leia, or as anyone else. Even Leia, you know, in her less famous outfits, is kind of more distinctive looking. Um, it's really like the most distinctive sort of thing about their group was. Uh, um, K2SO has a really different look and, you know, he's got this kind of like slouching stomping thing that goes with his little cranky personality. Yeah, like yeah, he, he was good. I mean, as always, the Empire has the best tailoring. They always have immaculate tailoring. I was like, of course I want to wear those uniforms. It does feel I like... I mean, that's, that's the fascism thing. It's Hugo Boss designing uniforms for the Nazis. <laughs> yeah, it also, but it also does feel like that, that kind of thing where I was like, I think this movie has more of a, a fondness yeah. for the Empire. Um, also, I... I just couldn't stop thinking, damn, the man saved the empire through the whole thing and it's mm-hmm. terrible. I'm like, no, that's the opposite of what I'm supposed to be thinking here. But. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and K2, you just talked about K2SO and his little grumpy personality. He actually, because you talked to me about droid slavery before this, and this is something Katie talked about last year, about the droids being enslaved in Star Wars and how all that works. I thought he was kind of interesting to watch from that perspective because he's very clearly imprinted on this one person and he's definitely loyal to this one person, Cassian, but um, he... He kind of doesn't obey orders that he doesn't want to obey, and he's kind of like, um, and also he's been re reprogrammed. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But also, they can. This is a droid that's killable. We've not seen a killable droid before, really. Um, and these droids are that. I think that's that's kind of different. It makes the stakes a bit different around if they really are enslaved. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff. Like, how do they man- How do they reprogram them? Um, like, what goes into the reprogramming? Because clearly there must be a level of programming that's, like, for Imperial droids and for um, Rebel, Resistance, whoever droids. But what programming goes into them? Because the Rebel and Resistance droids all seem to have personalities. Do the Imperial droids have no personalities? Do they somehow program a personality into a droid and then suddenly they have free will and things and they can choose not to obey people, but then they still seem to have to obey people? I don't understand how droids work in Star Wars and it drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, this is I really a longer want conversation. To know about droid slavery and like if they have their own personality and their own agency, then isn't it slavery if they're forcing every all these droids to do all these things for them? Mm. 
Yeah, That's the ultimate question. And it's fascinating. <laughs> how does it work with the resistance droids when they reprogram them? To like, uh, because you know, C three PO was originally programmed by Anakin, right? Yes. In the dumbest backstory ever. Um, and like, <laughs> and like, uh, uh, you know, and R two D two. How did he get that particular personality? And why did they wipe C three PO's memories and not R two D 2s And how come Obi Wan Kenobi can't remember having a droid before? And I think we should stop. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yeah, I, I love I have a lot of feelings about droids in Star Wars. She does. And don't get us started on the different languages. And I, oh I won't God, know the languages. No, no, the guy no. with the mask on his face, how come everybody could understand him? Even the Imperials, because we were talking before about how the Imperials only speak English. But clearly the Imperials don't only speak English if Bodhi can understand the guy with his mask on his face. So do they have a universal translator? Okay. Uh, well, okay, the consensus from the audience seems to be yes. Um, I think we might wrap up. <laughs> nah. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> um, so we just wanted to say thank you uh, to the audience for coming out and hanging around for our show after the screening. It's lovely to see you all. It's really nice to do um, shows here at Palace Electric in this nice little theatre with like our friends, basically. It's really lovely. Thank you to Palace, uh, Palace Cinemas in Canberra for hosting us and helping us out and taking care of us as they always do. Um, and... Yeah, I hope I hope you all had a good time. I hope you enjoyed the movie. Um, it, you know, problems aside, and I hope we weren't too boring. Yeah, and for the those uh, listening at home, if you want to find the show notes for this episode, find old episodes. Um, look on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens, on Twitter at screen underscore queens, and on Tumblr, which is run by Katie and therefore full of awesome stuff. There's um, going to be so much Diego Luna and Riz Ahmed at the end of this. Like, it's just wall-to-wall Diego Luna and Riz Ahmed. Well, that's tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com there. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Thank you for listening. Good night. Bye. Bye.